Please hello and welcome to Listen I Made a Hat. I'm your host, Sheila O'Neill, and in this episode we'll be discussing the legendary musical fable, Gypsy. The musical is based on the memoirs of Gypsy Rose Lee. Producer David Merrick and star Ethel Merman were interested in making it into a musical, so they set about putting together a creative team. This proved to be something of a challenge, but eventually they brought on Jerry Robbins as director, and he, in turn, approached Arthur Lawrence for the book. As they were looking for someone to do the score, Sondheim came to Jerry Robbins. Sondheim was asking Robbins to direct the musical he had been working on. A funny thing happened on the way to the forum. Robbins loved the songs for forums so much that he asked if Sondheim would be interested in writing the score for Gypsy. Sondheim was excited to work on the project, and Robbins agreed to direct Forum after Gypsy was up and running. The writing for Gypsy was only going to be about six months. There was just one problem. Ethel Merman refused to let Sondheim write the music. She had just finished the run of a show called Happy Hunting, which she had disliked terribly, and which had a score written by a first-time composer. Everyone's on the hunt She was all right with Sondheim doing the lyrics, but she didn't want to take the risk on another unknown composer. And so, Jewel Stein was brought in to do the music. Sondheim wasn't pleased with the concept of once again being stuck with just lyrics, and he nearly left the project altogether. Once again, it was Oscar Hammerstein who convinced him that he should do the show. Hammerstein pointed out that it would be good experience for Sondheim to write for a star, especially a star of Merman's caliber. Looking back on the decision, Sondheim concedes that it was important to learn how to write a role for a specific person. It's a skill that would come up again when Sondheim was writing for Zero Mostel, Angela Lansbury, Elaine Stritch, and Glynis Johns, among others. But he also feels that writing for the show did exactly what he feared it would, help cement his reputation as a lyricist, not a songwriter. For those unfamiliar with the show, Gypsy is a musical suggested by the memoirs of Gypsy Rose Lee. The story mainly focuses on Lee's mother, Rose, as she tries to make a vaudeville star out of her youngest daughter, June. The young Lee, Louise, doesn't have her sister's talent and blends into the chorus. When Rose meets a former stage manager named Herbie, he becomes Rose's romantic interest, as well as the act's booking agent. As time goes by, the girls outgrow their kitty act, and America outgrows vaudeville, but Rose is still clinging to her dreams. When June elopes with a chorus boy, Rose turns to Louise for her new star. The act gets booked in a burlesque club, and when an opening arises for a star, Rose pushes Louise into it. That's the last straw for Herbie, tired of waiting for Rose to get out of the biz and marry him. But it's just the first of many performances for the girl now known as Gypsy Rose Lee. Having achieved fame and success, Louise becomes self-sufficient, and Rose feels like she isn't needed. In a climactic mental breakdown set to song, Rose asks herself why she bothered working so hard all her life for people who always seem to leave her. But Louise hasn't left. She comes back to comfort her mother and lead her off stage. When Arthur Lawrence was first showing him the book for Gypsy, Sondheim was amazed at the complexity of the characters. They didn't seem like characters that belonged in a musical, and Sondheim asked why Lawrence didn't make it a straight play. Lawrence argued that the characters may have more dimension than most musicals, but they were still being written, quote, artificial enough to sing, unquote. It's also worth pointing out that the show revolves around show business, specifically vaudeville and burlesque, both of which are forms of entertainment where music is a key element. Musical theater is probably the closest living relative vaudeville has. It makes sense to use music to tell this story. Of course, since these characters were different from any in musicals that came before, 
they required a different approach in the lyrics as well as the book. Which is why Lawrence introduced Sondheim to a concept that would serve him well over the years. Subtext. There are many schools of thought regarding the concept, but Sondheim simply looks at it as his job to give the actor something to act. If a song spells out everything the character's thinking clearly in the lyrics, then the actor has nothing to do. There needs to be a layer underneath. In Everything's Coming Up Roses, Rose is singing about how wonderful everything is and how big a star Louise is going to be, but she's really trying to distract herself and mask the shock and sadness she feels over being abandoned by June. In Some People, Rose sings about how she needs to get out in the world and live, but really, she's trying to get money out of her father. Sondheim's embrace of subtext has given his work a level of depth that actors and audiences alike appreciate. Jules Stein knew when he joined the project that Sondheim had originally wanted to write the score, so he decided that he wasn't going to, quote, pull rank, unquote, as the composer. This, along with Sondheim's improved confidence, made the collaboration with Stein very different from the collaboration with Bernstein. Sondheim and Stein were on more equal ground. Sondheim felt more comfortable standing by his decisions when disagreements arose. Sondheim also found Stein to have an incredibly fertile mind. Sondheim would ask for a minor tweak in the music, and Stein would come back with a whole new melody. Sondheim, who likes to be more economical with his work, had a hard time adjusting to this. Sondheim and Stein also had differing opinions on using trunk tunes, the practice of recycling a previously written tune by setting new lyrics to it. Stein gave Sondheim several old tunes to consider using for Gypsy. While Sondheim wasn't fond of the idea, there was one melody that he liked and thought would work for the show. The song was called Why Did I Have to Wait So Long? It had an unfinished lyric and was written for an unproduced movie. With the previous lyricist's permission, Sondheim wrote a new lyric for the tune called You'll Never Get Away From Me. At the opening night party of Gypsy, he found out that the same tune had, in fact, also been used in a TV musical with a completed lyric called I'm in Pursuit of Happiness. In pursuit of happiness And the Constitution says I've the right to be No legal complications ever arose over it, and so the song remained. Jerry Robbins had also worked with Sondheim on West Side Story, but he felt less needed on Gypsy. Robbins certainly made his contributions to the show, but not on the same scale as his groundbreaking use of choreography in West Side. With the book so strong, Robbins felt that the show was more Lawrence than his. And of course, in a very significant way, the show was also Merman's. Ethel Merman was already well-established as a Broadway star. Her name was above the title and people were there to see her. Gypsy excited Merman because it was a chance for her to do some real acting, not just singing and putting on a persona. Sondheim was also excited to be writing something different for Merman. Audiences would be expecting a typical Ethel Merman show, and the writers of Gypsy had an opportunity to subvert those expectations. Of course, Merman's stardom wasn't always a positive thing. The opening lines of some people posed a problem. It started on too low a note, not allowing Merman to begin the song with any amount of power. A few weeks before the show opened, Sondheim approached Merman with a new opening verse for the song, which would fix the issue. Merman, however, refused to sing the verse because it included a line where Rose told her father to go to hell, and Merman didn't think audiences could forgive her for saying a thing like that to her father. Sondheim tried to argue, but Merman could not be swayed. When the song was recorded for the cast album, they realized that the actor who played Rose's father hadn't been called to the studio, since his character had no songs, but they had forgotten that he has a line to say in Some People. Sondheim himself stepped in to record the line, and it's believed that his frustration at Merman over the issue of the verse gave him all the inspiration he needed to portray Rose's angry father. Only 88 miles. 
You ain't getting 88 cents from me, Rose. The verse has since been lost, and all these decades later, the song remains as it was. From the start, David Merrick and Ethel Merman saw potential in Lee's memoir, but there were many writers who didn't. Condon and Green were approached to write the show, but turned it down. Irving Berlin and Cole Porter did the same. Even Arthur Lawrence didn't see how the project would be possible at first, but eventually he managed to create a brilliant adaptation. Lee's memoir is a fascinating read, and many of the book's elements didn't need to be changed at all for the show. The characters of Rose, June, and Louise are complicated and unique and bursting to make the easy step from page to stage. And countless details were pulled directly from the source. The act that stays stagnant as the kids grow older, the menagerie of backstage pets, Rose's omen dreams, including one about a cow, Louise sewing coats out of stolen hotel blankets, Rose's line, of course you won't really strip, but there's no reason why you can't walk around the stage in time to the music and drop a shoulder strap at the end, is pulled verbatim from Lee's book. The one character who needed to be majorly altered for the show was Herbie, who is inspired by a lover of Rose's named Gordon who managed the act for a time, but who is largely an invention of Lawrence. While Gordon is a blunt, sometimes crude man who left while the kids were still young, Herbie loves Rose and her kids, willing to stay by Rose's side for years, who gives the show a dimension the memoir lacks, a viable and attractive alternative to show business. In real life, Louise hated dressing as a boy, and June hated being called baby for so long, but neither of them really wanted to settle down and stop performing. The fantasy of Herbie and Rose marrying and settling down with the kids gives the girls something to hope for, and makes Herbie's finally leaving sting all the more. The trouble is that the memoir is an account of Lee's life, and life doesn't follow a clear narrative structure. It was this structure that Lawrence had to add to the story. The show cuts a lot of the backward steps of Lee's life. The times they return to Seattle, the little successes and failures in both vaudeville and burlesque, and makes the arc of the plot more straightforward, with a clear rise and fall in vaudeville and a meteoric rise in burlesque. The book also doesn't have a clear conclusion, so the idea of Rose's breakdown was a necessary addition for the show to work. Lawrence took the wealth of raw material before him and skillfully shaped it into what is arguably one of the greatest librettos that musical theater has ever seen. But a musical is not built on a libretto alone, and the songs from Gypsy rise to the occasion. Many of them have become standards, covered by singers the likes of Tony Bennett, Rosemary Clooney, and Frank Sinatra, among others. In the show, Let Me Entertain You evolves from an innocent song in a kitty act to a striptease number where every word drips with innuendo. And outside the show, it has been used for many different purposes. The song itself has proven to be very versatile. Jules Stein originally took issue with the line, I'm a woman with children, in Small World, arguing that it would prevent male singers from covering the song. They left the lyric as it was in the show, and tweaked it to, cause I'd love to have children for male singers. Simple enough. It got a little more complicated when Stein wanted to make All I Need Is The Girl suitable for a woman to sing, but Sondheim managed to create a good lyric for All I Need Is The Boy. One of the biggest hit songs from the show has also, to Sondheim's delight, found its way into the vernacular, Everything's Coming Up Roses. When he first heard the song, Jerry Robbins was confused by the fact that the character's name is Rose, going so far as to ask, Everything's Coming Up Roses what? Sondheim promised that if audiences found it confusing, he'd change it. Luckily, the audiences understood it just fine. Interestingly enough, when Lee was young Louise in real life, the song that she sang over and over in vaudeville, apparently because she was unable to learn any others, also featured the flower. The song, 
I'm a hard-boiled rose. Since the topic, everything's going to be fine, is incredibly broad, Sondheim limited himself by deciding that all of the imagery in the song would either involve childhood, travel, or showbiz. And when Congressman John Lindsay was running for mayor of New York in 1965, Sondheim lent his support by writing new lyrics to the song for use in the campaign. With Lindsay, It's Coming Up Roses was sung by Ethel Merman herself. Lindsay won the election and went on to serve two terms as mayor. We've been down, we've been done. It's a drought and in more ways than one. City Hall needs some rain. Well, with Of course, the book numbers are just as important to the show, if not more, than the breakaway pop hits. The Newsboy opening, for instance, is short but serves an important purpose. Its stilted stylistic feel instantly evokes the days of vaudeville, and the fact that it remains exactly the same each time it's reprised shows how the act fails to grow with the girls. Baby June's Newsboys, Dainty June's Farm Boys, and Senorita Luisa's Tori Adorables are all essentially the same, regardless of age, gender, or character. Even between different productions of Gypsy, the choreography of these numbers remains incredibly similar, sometimes even identical. Being stuck as a child is also the subject of Little Lamb, the song Louise sings on her birthday. The music is lovely, and the simplicity and subtlety of the lyric perfectly convey Louise's ambiguous feelings on her special day. And contrasting the tender song with the unrelenting drive of have an egg roll Mr. Goldstone makes its qualities shine all the more. During an out-of-town rehearsal, Stein was furious to find that Robbins had cut Little Lamb from the show. They had a confrontation, but Robbins held firm. The next day, a note arrived from Stein's lawyers, stating that unless Little Lamb was put back in the show immediately, Stein would not allow the show to use any of his score. The ultimatum succeeded, and the song was promptly returned to its proper place. Sondheim has said that his personal favorite song from the show is If Mama Was Married. The song is also a good example of how Gypsy was the show where Sondheim came of age as a lyricist. West Side Story had largely consisted of simple lyrics with simple rhymes. I Feel Pretty gave him a chance to play, but his work in Gypsy is on another level entirely. If Mama Was Married is an absolute joy to sing and to hear because, despite its simple premise, it surprises at every turn. The first two verses set up a simple ABAB structure, but what follows is a quintuple rhyme of dress, success, bless, less, and yes, inner rhymes like waltz down the aisle while you may, and even a little reprise of let me entertain you woven seamlessly into the song. For all the great songs that remain in the show, there were several that had to be cut along the way. As they toured out of town, the show was consistently running long, and something had to go. A song for Herbie called Nice She Ain't was cut partly for time and partly because the actor Jack Klugman didn't think he had the singing ability to handle a solo. Who Needs Him, sung by Rose after Herbie leaves, was replaced with a quick reprise of Small World. Another song for Rose, Smile Girls, was written because Merman didn't really have a big number in Act 2 until her climactic song at the end. It was Rose's stage advice to the Tory Adorables, and it stayed in the show for exactly one performance, because it slowed down the show and added nothing to the story. 
Mother's Day was originally sung by Baby June in the Vaudeville Act, but it was cut because by the time June sang, by this time next year, she may not be here, make every day Mother's Day, the subtext had rapidly become the text. Three Wishes for Christmas, sung by the burlesque chorus girls, was cut because the joke was superficial and the song was unnecessary. Finally, the show originally had a song called Mama's Talkin' Soft. The song was sung by the girls as they spied on Rose and Herbie as a counterpoint to Small World. The trouble was that the actress who played Baby Louise was scared of heights and terrified of going up the ladder to peek over the scenery, which is how the song was staged. Since the show was running long anyway, the song was cut which didn't stop Petula Clark from doing an excellent cover of it on her album Petula Clark in Hollywood. Mama's talking soft. Mama's got a plan. Mama's eyes are wide. Mama's seen a man. Of all the songs cut from the show, Mama's Talking Soft leaves the biggest hole because it's the source material for the Mama's Talking Loud, Mama's Doing Fine section of the show's finale, Rose's Turn. Rose's Turn was originally conceived as a ballet, but as the show's opening grew near, Robbins realized that he didn't have time to choreograph it, so he needed a song in its place. Stein was busy that evening, so Sondheim and Robbins met alone on the stage. Sondheim had the idea to take bits of songs that Rose had sung and heard throughout the show and mix them together into a surreal medley. In a tableau straight out of a backstage movie, Sondheim improvised on the piano and sang as Robbins moved around the stage, putting the choreography in motion. They left with a rough outline of the number, which Sondheim and Stein polished into its final form and gave to Merman. She was nervous at first, because the number seemed daunting and practically an aria. Sondheim pointed out that it wasn't entirely new to her, since it was comprised of fragments of songs she already knew, and that helped her feel more comfortable. In the end, she was able to hold her own with the number, which originally, at Sondheim's persuasion, ended with an eerie, dissonant chord. Sondheim didn't think that a nervous breakdown should end on a triumphant note. But when Hammerstein came to see the show in Philadelphia, he advised Sondheim to let the song end in a show-stopping climax that would allow the audience to give Merman her ovation. It was the same lesson from the placement of songs in West Side Story. Theatrical truth can be different from logical truth. Without a chance to applaud the number, the audience was subconsciously distracted and itching for the curtain call. After Sondheim took Hammerstein's advice, audiences paid full attention to the show's final scene. Later, when Lawrence was directing a revival of the show, he found a way to make the applause work to the breakdown's benefit by having Rose continue to bow even after the audience had stopped clapping, making it clear that the ovation was all in her mind. Some argue that the final scene of Gypsy is unnecessary and the show should end with Rose's turn. Others, including Sondheim and Lawrence, argue that the final scene is what conveys the message of the show. Children eventually become their parents. But whether the final scene hurts or helps it, there's no denying that the number is powerful. Rose's breakdown exists not only in the acting and the words, but in the very structure of the number. In Follies, Sondheim would revisit the idea of a musical breakdown with the song Live, Laugh, Love. For the film version, Merman hoped to play Rose, but was ultimately snubbed in favor of Rosalind Russell. The film was a financial success, but it leaves much to be desired. 
The use of voiceover is unnecessary and, if anything, detracts from the story. The changes in the plot don't seem to bring anything particularly meaningful to the table either, other than making a couple lines a little worse. Good riddance to all the socials, I had to go to all the lodges, I had to play all the Shriners, I said hello to, hey New York, I'm coming your way. The 1993 TV remake with Bette Midler was a much better attempt. It stayed truer to the show and used cinematography way better, particularly in All I Need is the Girl, where the use of camera angles and choreography come together to highlight Louise's romantic longing for Tulsa. Louise may be the title character of the show, but Rose is undeniably the star. The character herself is a legend in her own right, and portraying the ultimate stage mom has become a rite of passage of sorts for the big female stars on The Great White Way. Prominent women in the theater, the likes of Angela Lansbury, Patti LuPone, and Bernadette Peters have all taken on the role for various Broadway revivals. The late great B. Arthur, in a Broadway review, admitted that she always wanted to play the part, ever since she saw the first run-through of the show. All my life I have wanted to play that part. Mama Rose. And since 2011, Barbara Streisand has been trying to put together a movie version of Gypsy, starring herself as Rose. The character's appeal comes from both depth and versatility. One actress can look at Rose and see a monster, willing to do anything it takes to get her kids famous. Another can see a woman who was abandoned by her own mother at a young age, who aggressively refuses to give up on what she perceives as her children's own dreams. The nuance of Rose's character is also part of what makes Gypsy so revivable. Each new incarnation of the show can find its own perspective to convey. Gypsy was beloved by audiences and critics alike during its original run. Dorothy Kilgallen of the Journal American said, quote, Anyone who doesn't think Gypsy is a fine, funny, satisfying evening in the theater needs oxygen, a nurse, and a pint of blood, unquote. And the show's legacy continues to last. According to Sondheim, quote, Gypsy holds up so well because it's about people, unquote. Lawrence characters, enhanced by Sondheim's and Stein's songs, do indeed continue to draw in audiences for performances and revivals all over the world, from New York to Mexico to South Africa. The show is also considered by Sondheim to be one of the last great shows in the Rodgers and Hammerstein era of musicals. That is, the era of traditional scene-song-scene-song style musical comedy. This is fitting, since the show itself is about a different bygone era, vaudeville. The tropes of the era, and jokes like Rose referring to the non-existent Mr. Orpheum, are lost on modern audiences, but the characters and their desires are timeless. Thank you for listening. This has been Listen, I Made a Hat. To find out more, please visit listenimadeahat.com. I'm Sheila O'Neill, and you can learn more about me at sheilaoneill.com. Join us on February 15th when we'll be discussing the critical reception of Sondheim's shows. And the quote of the day is, Everything's coming up, Rose. Everything's coming up, Roses. Everything's coming up, Roses. This time for me. For me. For me. For me! For me! For me!